I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I am a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. The purpose of this show is to educate fellow Americans on key freedom and national security issues. I like to bring on subject matter experts to the program to talk about these issues, but more importantly, to educate us on them and then provide us a call to action so we, the people, can make a difference. It's one thing to be informed and to have the knowledge, but then it's what do we do with it? And that's where I believe as giving the power back to the people, we can make a difference. Here on Freedom Talks, we try not to be political in the sense of calling out Republicans or Democrats. What we like to do is just really focus on these freedom issues. However, in that, sometimes we've got to speak the truth and just call things out for what they are. And in that, we're seeing this current administration literally releasing policies out of Washington, D.C. that are impacting everyday Americans. Last week, it was reported that President Biden had gone ahead and signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. They say it's going to reduce inflation, but yet economists are saying the opposite. And as Americans, regardless of your political affiliation, we are all feeling the cost of everything increasing from our groceries, our utilities, our energy. Everything is increasing to the point over the weekend as parents are gearing up, sending their kids back to school. It was reported that now it is incredibly costly to raise a child in this current uh, economic situation. So... Today, I have a phenomenal guest who is truly an SME. She has experience in policy, legislation, business, and economics, and I have watched her as she was mayor of Irving to now being in the position that she is in today, and I just can't say enough good things about her, and I'm blown away by her fortitude, and it's with such honor to introduce Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne. Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne proudly represents the 24th Congressional District of Texas in the U.S. House of Representatives. Prior to being elected to Congress, Beth served as the Regional Administrator for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is known as HUD. She was the mayor of Irving, Irving City Council member, and a businesswoman. In 2017, Beth was appointed to serve as the Regional Administrator for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Southwest Region. So while working under Secretary Ben Carson, Beth was tasked with overseeing HUD programs and operations in the region's five states of Arkansas, Louisiana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas, where she worked on many of Trump's administration's proudest economic successes, as well as Opportunity Zones and led HUD's disaster recovery efforts. 
So before being named administrator, Beth was the first woman elected to serve as the mayor of Irving from 2011 to 2017 after beginning her career in public service as an Irving City Council representative from 2004 to 2010. And under her leadership, and this I think is really cool, is that they were able to add 40,000 jobs and an estimated $3 billion in growth and new developments while being named the fifth safest city in America. So during her tenure as mayor, Beth represented the city on a number of boards to include a board member of the DFW International Airport. Throughout her career, she worked with small startup companies, mid-sized private companies, and Fortune 500 corporations alike and ran a consulting business where she helped executives develop strategic business plans, as well as negotiation strategies, grassroots coalition building, and federal and state legislative policy strategies. So after graduating magna cum laude from Cornell University, Beth moved to Irving, which has been her home for over 30 years. She's a single mom of two amazing kids, and she is the only second Republican woman from Texas to be elected into the House of Representatives. Beth, thank you so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, I'm really glad to be here. Well, I'm just so blown away because I remember, you know, I used to work for a media mogul. I met you when you would come to his studios and you were mayor of Irving. And I just was blown away at the fact that all that you had accomplished as mayor, then seeing you working for Secretary Ben Carson under the Trump administration to now being a congresswoman, what made you decide to get involved at the local, state, and national level, particularly in the government arena? Well, I mean, it's a good question. It's a really good question. I mean, I, I got involved just in, in community, even when I was in college, but more so when um, I bought a house in a neighborhood and I had kids. Um, when my daughter was born, when she was first born, she ended up having nine surgeries on her eye um, the first year she was born. And I went to our our parks committee and I wanted to get some shade in the park because whenever we'd go to the park, she'd always cover her eye. And, you know, it's in, uh, in Texas in the summer, it gets hot. So I went to our parks committee and I went again and again. And before I knew it, I was chairman of the parks committee and um, I got that, that park built. And, you know, I think people, when, when they see someone who is, is a leader and can actually get stuff done, not just bringing complaints, but actually bring solutions to the table, they get asked to do more. Um, and then I got asked to go to a city council meeting uh, to meet with one of our uh, uh, our, our representatives and, and discuss his own case. And after a really negative meeting with our district representative, I decided that if nobody was going to run against this guy, I would. And you know, I didn't have a lot of name recognition at all. I didn't have financial backing. I just thought it was a really bad idea to have poor representatives not even have a competitor because people were afraid to run against them. So with no prior experience, I threw my name in the ring. Um, I beat an incumbent who outspent me eight to one. It's not always about the money. It's about having a message. It's about getting out there. It's about doing grassroots campaigning, meeting people, finding out what their issues are, relating to people, um, and having a backbone. Um, so I was on city council for six years. Uh, really enjoyed it. But you know, I missed more than my fair share of soccer games and, and, and play rehearsals um, if, with my kids. So I decided that I was going to fill up my term um, and then I was going to step down. And that year that I stepped down, um, 
the city council just decided to spend like thieves. And um, I was talked into running for mayor. Uh, so that following year, again, I ran against an incumbent. Again, I was, you know, outspent six to eight, six, seven, eight times um, what, what we spent and um, um, won. And it was, you know, it was a rough race. It was a tough race. It's a personal race. I think at the local level, um, you don't have a name of, of a party behind you. So it's up to you to be able to create a vision that people can can support. It's up to you to be able to articulate your experiences and why you would be the best candidate, why you'd be the best representative. Um, but it also gets really personal. When I decided to run for Congress, it's it's amazing using all of the um, the skill sets and, and the experiences that I'd had from a personal uh, career side, you know, professional career side, to you know, bringing up a family to working at the local level, and then having the experience that I did under the Trump administration with Secretary Carson working at HUD. You know, I got to see from for myself firsthand working from the inside of a bureaucratic beast, um, and how taxpayer money is spent, and and it got me really concerned about our future. Um, and being able to put all of those together and now representing in Congress, I think it's a unique perspective that I bring to the table. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's, it's all based on experience. It's not on taking no for an answer um, and not on, uh, on believing the odds or what people tell you. It's just about being a fighter and, and continuing to go to the people with, with what I see happening and what I see as solutions. How do you equate, or I should say, how is HUD different than your position right now as a congresswoman? It's a great question. HUD uh, is is just layer upon layer of bureaucracy. Um, you know, I've tried to get down when I first took that role as the regional administrator. I tried to get down to the, the basics of what made up our budget, and what I found was it's completely siloed. Some of the activities happen in DC. Some of the activities happen in in, in, in the uh, regional office, but trying to find it was, was, in, was impossible to do, uh, trying to figure out where the dollars were and how they were spent, who made the decisions. And, and what I've learned is it's like that on purpose. Um, you know, people like uh, appointed positions come and go. Um, mm -hmm. The folks who are there for decades at a time are the ones who really make the decisions in a bureaucracy. And we, we talk about term limits all the time. And what I realized at HUD was you not only need to have term limits on the people who are elected, but you've got to have term limits on the bureaucracy that are there because they learn more than anything. All they have to do is placate the people that are appointed that are really pushing the policies down from the administration. They placate them. They know that they're not going to be there for more than two, maybe four years. Then they're going to have somebody else. So they continue to do what they want to do and they protect their own. And that being said, I had, you know, I had some experiences with really great employees as well, you know, who took their job seriously, who were doing it because they felt that they had a mission. But, you know, I, all too often what I encountered was, was, was the bureaucracy and just eating up the taxpayer resources and not getting the goal that you wanted. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I took that job because I wanted to go work with Secretary Carson. Ben Carson, I think, is a brilliant man who had a great vision. He's very dedicated. And when I went to go interview with him the first time, he said, Beth, we need to stop looking at our success in HUD by the number of people that we get into the program. And we start we need to start looking at the people that we we graduate we, we graduate out of the program. Mm. 
we want we should be hosting um, all of these kinds of job fairs and opportunities for people that HUD is no longer necessary. But the people that work there, that was not their goal. That was not their mission. Um, so I think a lot of times what you find is, is, is competition between conservative um, members in Congress who are pushing down and deciding what the um, budgets are for these agencies and the actual people who, who run these agencies. I was um, happy about the new uh, Supreme Court case that came out a couple months ago that was will give more um, um, commitment and more um, choice of, of, of the future to Congress versus the agencies. But it's going to be incumbent on congressional members to take that challenge and actually get out there and look at the specifics. Writing policy is hard. You know, you, you can go out and you can give a speech, but actually writing policy, coming up with the solutions to the problems that we hear every day is difficult and it takes time and it's not always very sexy, but that's the job that we took, at least that's the job that I took. It's 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 hard work, but um, we need to do that as leaders so that the bureaucrats don't have free run of the government and don't have free run of the taxpayer budget. That's so good. You know, when you talk about the economic growth and development that you saw in HUD, and then now looking at the economic growth that the Democrats are trying to implement, you know, through their Inflation Reduction Act, economists say that the Inflation Reduction Act doesn't reduce inflation. And rather, we're actually seeing our economy negatively being impacted by these policies coming from this administration. Are you concerned about our current state uh, of our market and our economy right now? Oh, without a doubt. I think anybody who, who buys gas, anybody who buys food, um, anybody who has a household to run is worried about this economy. I mean, and what you're hearing today you are, are folks who are being laid off. You know, you've got some larger companies, Ford, Amazon, um, um, Tesla, they're laying thousands of people off because they see the recession coming coming strong. Um, that is a concern. And this government seems to, this administration just seems to keep adding to the problem they created. Um, when you add all sorts of debt, when you flush the, the market with cash, um, that's what creates the inflation, um, stopping our, our energy uh, independence, forcing us to buy from um, you know, allies, in some cases, adversaries in most cases, um, you know, they're, they're forcing our dependence on, on foreign advocates, uh, foreign adversaries, uh, foreign nations, as opposed to you know, prospering here at home in, uh, in U.S.-made companies. That is a problem. And what we have seen this administration do over and over again is increase the layers upon layers of bureaucracy, increase the debt, further increase taxes, and then like throw their arms up and like, oh, we had no idea this was going to happen. Yeah. It, it, who's taken Econ 101 can tell you what would happen as a result of their policies directly. And they just keep doing it. You know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is just an Orwellian language at its, at its worst, um, that it was not going to reduce uh, inflation. It was never, you know, uh, going to reduce inflation. You talk to some of the members of Congress, the Democrats who supported it, and they could never articulate how it was ever going to reduce inflation. Yeah. But what the professional said was it's going to increase inflation. It also increases the layers upon layers of bureaucracy. They're, they're talking about adding 87,000 new IRS agents, which is more, more employees then um, the FBI, um, Customs and Border Patrol, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, and the Pentagon and the State Department put together. Um, 
that's where the focus is, is on looking at, at everyday Americans and going through their taxes and trying to get every penny out of them, as opposed to focusing on protecting our borders, right. um, uh, enforcing our laws. Those don't seem to be important to this administration. But nickel and diming everyday working families is the focus in increasing their taxes and increasing the spend. Um, I had introduced a bill um, for a small business committee that for every um, uh, for every regulation you add, it had to be budget negative or budget neutral. This was my attempt to be able to codify uh, under the tax under the Trump administration what they had for every one regulation you add, you had to get rid of two. Uh, this is a way to codify that. It's also a way to prevent the growth of government. If you can't increase your budget by adding a regulation, um, it stops those layerings. But this administration seems hell-bent against that and just wants to increase federal government control, federal government debt, and federal the size of the federal government. I'm glad that you brought up the 87,000 IRS agents because reports have indicated that the first wave of Americans that they're specifically specifically going to target are those who make $75,000 or less. Then they're going to target those who make under $400,000 or less. And President Biden stated that those who make less than $400,000 or taxes are not going to increase or not going to be targeted. Why do you think this administration is wanting to target everyday Americans? What What's the purpose behind this? It makes no sense, but do you know? I, you know, I have not been able to figure this administration out. I, I, I cannot defend their actions, nor can I find reason behind them. I mean, you look at what's happening at our southern border, the fact that we've had almost 5 million um, illegal immigrants enter this country since Biden took, uh, took office. Why have they not done anything to increase um, presence at the border of, of our federal agents? Why have they not allowed Immigration and Customs Enforcement to do their job? does not make sense. And, and, and what they do is they this, this administration continues to create crisis after crisis and not bring forward any kind of solutions. And then just deny that they had anything to do with creating these problems. I mean, you look at our energy markets, you look at the increase in, in the cost of gas. From day one, the Biden administration went after jobs. They, they um, got rid of the expansion of the Keystone Pipeline. They immediately got rid of 11,000 jobs on day one and then prevented us from being able to um, produce more oil by increasing the number of regulations, uh, EPA regulations and enforcement mechanisms against locally made and produced um, energy. They attacked the energy industry during during Biden's administration, um, during Biden's campaign, he was very clear in saying that they, there will be no fossil fuels in the future of this country, that we're going to do everything that we can to destroy them. And they've, they've held true to that. But without having a reasonable and um, um, cost-effective solution. People's need for energy is still every bit as much now, if not more, than it was when he was campaigning or took office. They took away those those, those solutions. They increased the cost of them. They, pre they pre prevented them from being produced at a higher quantity. And then they complained that they had nothing to do about it. And they blamed the companies as opposed to their policies. So to, to try to figure out the reasoning behind the Biden administration's policies um, and what they say and what they do being completely different. Um, I don't know of any reasonable, rational, educated person that could do that.
Well, I mean, it's like the administration likes to change words. Obviously, they like to use pronouns. And then now they're changing the definition of recession and basically saying, hey, nothing to see here, people. But clearly, I mean, the economy is saying something completely different. Why do you think this administration is trying to change the definition of the term recession? And do you believe that we are currently in a recession? I believe that we are headed to a recession without without doubt. Um, when you see inflation like you have seen it, when you have seen um, our energy prices spike as they have, with no solutions behind it from this administration, only continuous attacks, no solutions to what we're doing on the supply chain, on um, when, when you see millions of people coming over our border illegally, mm-hmm. when you see them tout these great job numbers, we just got through a humongous pandemic where you saw hundreds of thousands of people lose their jobs. And, and now we're getting back where we were. You can't claim credit for that, that you created anything. Right. The only thing done is get out of a, of a pandemic. And now we're getting back to normal when we're allowed to, when this administration allows us to, when, when um, um, Democrat governors allow those people to get back to work or get back to school. So they tell one thing, um, but they cause the chaos on the, on the other. And why are they trying to re, um, rename things? Because that, that's what they, they don't want the narrative to be reality. So if they change the name of a word, they think that somehow people are just going to think, oh, everything is rosy, as if people aren't living the lives that they're living right now, that they don't actually see the increase at the tank, at the increase at the store. The, the amount in their paycheck may be more, but the value of their dollar is so incredibly less, and people feel that every day. Um, what we've also found from this administration is that when they are not winning, they either change the definition of words mm-hmm. or they just change the rules altogether, which is you know, why they were trying to, to stack the courts in the Supreme Court, um, you know, increase the number to be able to, to bypass what we have historically had in this country that has worked so well with our Supreme Court. They change the rules when they can't play the game the right way, which is why you know I'm very happy to live in the state of Texas, where when we're looking at rules regarding our um, our voting mm-hmm. um, and our election laws, that Texas was one of the states that stepped up in its legislation. Actually, went after ways of making voting easier, you know, easier to vote but harder to cheat. Um, you know, because we have seen de- Democrats try to change those rules as well. They try to do it uh, federally. Uh, that did not go through, thankfully. Uh, but you see it state by state. And when they can't when they can't win the game, they change the rules. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up pertaining to voting because I know that a lot of people have been really discouraged with the current state that our country is in. They're discouraged based on what happened in 2020. And then now there, there's a lot of pessimism pertaining to um, whether or not their election is secure. And like you said, here in Texas, we've We've been able to uh, really beef up our election integrity laws so that we can have a safe and secure election process. But to those who feel like that they can't go out and vote, where they are concerned that their vote doesn't matter, so I might as well stay at home, what would you say to those individuals? We live in the best country ever because you can fire and hire your representatives. And people have to understand how powerful that is how important that is for our for our country, for our future. And for those people who think that you know their vote doesn't count, 
Marriott Miller Meeks is a freshman um, congresswoman. She's also a physician out of the state of Iowa. She won by six votes, six votes, a congressional seat. That's how much she won by. Um, every single vote counts. And this election, it's so important that people allow their voices to be heard, that they get to the polls and that they vote. And I would even go a step further. I would say, you know, not only do you need to go to the polls and vote, but bring 10 folks. Make sure that 10 people, 10 extra people are going to vote. You see what has happened under one party rule in this country for the last year and a half. You see how much our economy has changed, how much our national um, um, security has changed, what's happened in Afghanistan, what's happening in Ukraine, what is potentially happening in Taiwan, how we have strengthened our foreign adversaries like Russia and China. That's happened in just a year and a half. This election is so monumentally important. Every single vote counts. And I would encourage everybody to get out and also to get other people to the polls. That's so good because I know here on Freedom Talks, we've talked a lot about the border. We've talked about Ukraine. We've talked about Russia and China, but particularly how the CCP is the greatest threat to our national security with everything that they're doing and their coalition building. And it is disconcerting when it looks like America is being pressed on all sides uh, externally, but now we have it internally. And so thank you for sharing why voting matters, because I think a lot of Americans just are starting to kind of lose hope. At the same time, there's such great optimism that we could potentially see the tables turn in November. What would you say to the younger people who may be interested in being in government? I mean, someone as you who's a powerhouse female in the government, what would you say to maybe the younger women who want to get involved in government and politics? Oh, I would say, look at what's interesting to you. I mean, are there policies that are important to you that you're passionate about? It's not work if you're doing something that you love and enjoy and you feel like you're actually making a difference. So whether or not that's running for school board, because God knows we need more, you know, more um, um, folks to run for school board that actually have our kids' interest at heart. So whether or not it's school board or a local, you know, council running for county government, working at an office, working for a candidate, or running yourself, we need better people in office. The, the bar is so low right now. Um, you know, being a politician is a joke. I always get offended just at being, you know, labeled that. I always say I'm an elected official. Mm -hmm. You know, I go out and I, I meet with people. I listen to them. I try to bring their concerns, you know, to the forefront. That's my job. I, I'm, I, I always say I'm a terrible politician. I don't, I don't play that game. If you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. And that, that is the answer that I would give to any single audience. And I think it's important to be consistent and to be strong with your message. But, you know, for the younger generation who, you, you have to understand the decisions that are being made today are going to affect you tomorrow. The debt that is being put on your head is not just going to be on your responsibility to pay off, but on your kids' responsibility to pay off. All of these, these, these crises that you see today aren't going away. They're just building and further building. So it's incumbent upon this younger generation to get involved, to make sure your voice is heard, um, and to do the work. You know, running for office, supporting a candidate, um, being that representative takes a lot of time. It takes time away from, you know, what, what, what you could be doing, you know, time that you could be spending with family, that you could be spending with friends, that you could be spending on furthering a professional career. It takes time. 
but we don't have enough people who really are doing it for the right reasons, who are committed to it, who are dedicated um, servants doing it. So if you've got a passion um, that you want to see brought to the forefront, I would I would really, really encourage you to get involved. And if you don't want to run yourself to, to get involved in a campaign, because quite honestly, they're fun. Um, um, we have had some of the best teams, the campaign teams that are out there. I mean, you literally feel like you have you have been to a, a, a war kind of um, um, atmosphere. You know, you've got someone that you're trying to beat. You've got a message. You've got, you know, limited tools. Um, and you really feel like you've been through um, through a lot when you come out of a campaign. And, and if you win, it's even that more exhilarating and that more, much more successful. And the, the, re- the relationships that you build during that time are lifetime friendships. So it's, it's a rewarding experience. And it's also just so important for the future of our country. That's such great advice. I kind of feel like a lot of times people just don't take the time to mentor the next generation and be able to pour into them. So thank you so much for sharing that advice. And I've got one more question for you. What would you say is your call to action for those who are watching? Um, I look at my kids. Um, you know, I've been engaged. I was, I was, my, my children were one and, and three when I ran for Congress, when I first ran for, for city council. Um, and I always did it for them. Um, it's, it's, it's important to me that every vote that I take, I not only have to look at myself in the mirror, but I also have to look at my kids' eyes and, and they're grown now. Um, but it doesn't mean that their future isn't everybody's important. So the call to action is not just for my kids, but for, for the next generation, for the future generations. We have been given so many phenomenal opportunities at a cost. You know, people who, who built this country on um, you know, the men, the women who fought for this country, who gave their lives for this country, did it for a reason. Um, and as much as the people sometimes complain about what we lack here, we don't see people fighting to leave America. We see people risking their lives every day to get here. And there's a reason for that. Um, it is one of the gifts that I believe anybody who's born in this country really has to prioritize and, and hold dear to their heart and fight for it. You know, as Ronald Reagan said, we can lose this in a generation if we don't fight for it. Yeah. Um, and, and I've put my, my name out there. I, I have I put my time, um, my family's time on the line, um, and I'll continue to do so. But my calling is really to see that this that we don't lose what we've, we've built, that it can only get better. And I want to see future generations be just as much passionate and dedicated to it as, um, as I feel I've been. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Freedom Talks today. And thank you for giving us insight and just advice and just pouring out your wisdom. Truly appreciate you. And I look forward to having you back on the program. Forward to it. I look forward to it. And I appreciate your time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you and your, your listeners very soon. Thank you. Well, as I close out here first, I just want to thank our sponsor, Vibrant Health MD, for making this episode possible. They are a health and wellness program, or actually I should say a health and wellness practice there in Plano, Texas, who will help you discover a healthy life so you can live your best life. So for more information, visit VibrantHealthMD.com. That is VibrantHealthMD.com. And as I close, again, I just want to thank Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne for being on our program today. And 
and just in the words that she shared, that it's about the next generation, the future generations, that we don't lose what has already been built. I just want to encourage you to discover what it is that God has called you to do. Discover your skills and your talents because every single one of us have a purpose here. And not only that, but we're here for such a time as this. And freedom truly is on the line. And we need to do our part to get involved at the local and state level. I know I say that all the time here on the program, that we have to get involved at the local and state level. But we need to do our part to truly preserve our liberties and our freedom. And, you know, I truly believe that when scripture says that righteous are as bold as a lion, we need to be able to be the ones who are bold and do our part. And so I just encourage you to get involved in any way that you can in campaigns. Be sure that you go out and you vote. Doesn't matter, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we are Americans and we need to do our part to vote and, and take advantage of that constitutional right that we have. And so I just encourage you to stand strong because together we will stand for righteousness, speak truth, and protect freedom. Thank you and God bless. I look forward to seeing you again. Thanks.